The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It's the College Football Winning Edge Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. We need to address something right off the top here. And it's that Xavier challenged a former NBA player to a game of one-on-one uh tonight or last night or whenever it was uh nick and i uh are uh, going to be taking bets on if um he scores one point against uh jarvis hayes former nba player uh i i mean nick if you had to give over unders on one point what would your plus minus be right there one point for xavier plus what uh i i would i would take the under uh on even money i mean uh, what if I gave you plus five hundred? Would you would you give would you put money down on Xavier to get one point? Just a dollar. Get one point? Oh, Just I don't a know. dollar. Come mm-hmm. on. That's that. Uh, you know, I, I I try to I try to be smart with my money. I understand that. <laughs> uh, I understand that uh, the unexpected does happen on occasion, uh, but when you have a former NBA player, uh, lottery pick, even though he's older than I am, you know, I, I, uh, you know, those, those guys, all professional athletes pretty much are freaks of nature. Uh, he's what, six, seven, six, eight, Xavier, you're five, 10. And yeah. And, uh, so I, yeah, I, I think maybe, maybe you get lucky and, and, uh, make one and that would be the push. Uh, but my money's pretty, pretty easily on the under. Why don't you challenge him to horse? My like, college, if, if if you go look at my college football roster, my last year there, they had me at six foot. I'm gonna take it. Oh, yeah, of course <laughs> they did. Every single college roster, if if you're under six feet, two hundred pounds, you're six feet, two hundred pounds. That's I was, I was six feet, a buck ninety. I was like, I was neither. Uh, was, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was like five so. ten, a buck seventy five. <laughs> Xavier told us this story. I mean, minutes before we start recording, so I had to bring it up here, of course. And call you out on it. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be a while. So you have some time to practice up. You got to wait till uh, the end of the college basketball season because he's a coach now. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, good luck with that. So, uh, I mean, uh, I, I feel like, you know, betting on Xavier to win would be like betting on no more games to get canceled for the rest of this season. And uh, we can't we cannot be doing that. We'll get to those canceled games in a second. But let's take a look back. At week 11, real quick, we, of course, had Maction on Tuesday, Wednesday. That was a lot of fun. On Thursday, Boise State smacks Colorado State 52-21. to On Friday, Iowa beat up on Minnesota. Uh, Cincinnati 55-17 to over East Carolina. Then all of the Saturday action comes down. Marshall big over Middle Tennessee. 
Liberty big over Western Carolina, of course. Miami narrowly escapes defeat against Virginia Tech, 25-24. Great game there. Uh, then um, we had Indiana beat Michigan State, shut them out, 24-zip. Uh, not good for Michigan State at all. Uh, Louisiana almost said you know what you're not supposed to say here, but Louisiana wins over South Alabama, 38-10. to as a 25th ranked team, USC had to do it twice. USC 34 over U of A 30. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, Notre Dame big over Boston College. We expected that one to be closer. I know I did. Nick talked me into that. But uh, 45 to 21, Notre Dame over Boston College. Uh, Oregon 43 over Washington State 29. Uh, SMU down by Tulsa. We were wary of that game for sure. 28-24. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida big over Arkansas, 63-35. to I cannot wait to hear Xavier's comments about this game. Wisconsin, 49 over Michigan, 11. Uh, then uh, Ole Miss cost Will Muschamp his job, 59-42 to in an absolute shootout. That game was so much fun to watch. Uh, and uh, that's it for all of the uh, ranked games here. Obviously, a lot of games canceled. The Big 12 was already on a lot of buys as well, Nick. So uh, your thoughts on what went down in week 11? Well, it was it was a bit of a weird week, obviously. You know, it, it, we had Maction, which had uh, some some interesting outcomes, some fun games. That Toledo-Western Michigan game was uh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That had just started, I think, when we were wrapping up recording last yeah. week and I, I almost turned it off three or four different times and glad I didn't because Western Michigan, you know, had, had just the, the most ridiculous comeback uh, ever get the, the uh, missed extra point and then had to do a, a onside kick and then drove down, did a fake spike for the game winning touchdown was just uh, pretty ridiculous. Kind of a, a, a real fun way to really kick off, the week, even though there were a couple of games uh, prior to that on on uh, Wednesday, but you know there there were not a lot of real high profile games, and there were certainly some blowouts. But we were we were treated to uh, I think more good games than we expected. You mix, you mentioned Tulsa coming back uh, and winning after being down big early to SMU. That one unfortunately went the wrong way as far as our numbers were concerned. Miami coming back from a double digit deficit to win actually worked out for us. So, and that was, uh, you know, a really exciting game. USC, as you mentioned, uh, very, very fortunate to come back and win two weeks in a row. Yeah, so there were there were. I mean, the Wake Forest North Carolina game was just a an absolute shootout, even more so than the the South Carolina game. Uh, so there were there were some fun and exciting games, even though there weren't uh, a lot of you know big time prime time matchup, you know, ranked versus ranked type games. So that I think has a tendency to happen. You know, we come in with pretty low expectations, not super excited about a lot of games and then retreated to, you know, some really exciting football. And, and uh, I think that that was based off, you know, we had a record number of games canceled and, and then the slate itself, not too exciting on paper. It was nice to be treated to uh, really, you know, some fun football all throughout the day on Saturday uh, and, and then, of course, you know, the, the midweek game, as I mentioned as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, there are definitely a lot of close games, like you said. There are also uh, some not-so-close games, Xavier, <laughs> like Wisconsin, big over Michigan. We talked about this in our text thread a lot. I mean, I if this was a non-COVID year, and I think even Nick would agree with me on this at this point, if this was a non-COVID year, this would be the nail in the coffin for Harbaugh. This would be it. He oh, yeah. would be out in this oh, game, right? He's got to be done. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're Michigan. And you've put, given up 40 points in the last. Like, you've been terrible. You lost to a Michigan State team that scored seven points against Iowa and gave up 55. You're done. And they got shut out. Got shut out last week. I mean, <laughs> dude, there should be khaki pants being burned in effigy right now <laughs> on the <laughs> campus. Of Michigan, like <laughs> Harbaugh's got to, he's got to see the light. They've got to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. I, I told you guys, we looked at their schedule uh, about a week ago. I think like on last week's podcast, and I said, do they, can they get to five hundred? You know, you look at their schedule. They play Rutgers this week. That might be their lone dub down the stretch. They've got Penn State the week afterwards. We see how bad they are. Maybe there, they don't look like they beat Maryland, and we all know they're not going to beat Ohio State. So at this point, they've got one win on the year. Will they get to 500? I can't say they will. And, and, and not go, going below 500 at Michigan is unacceptable. Just ask Brady Hoke. Yeah, I mean, th this this game, what else did you see from uh, Week 11, Xavier? What else uh, were you paying attention to? Nick jinxed us again. Uh, Georgia State was doing fine. And then we get a text from Nick in about the third quarter. He says, wow, look at GSU. From there, it went all downhill. He's not Bloody Mary. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, you can't blame everything on Nick here. I mean, come on. The defense played lights out for three and a half quarters before the text message. I'm blaming Nick. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's I, fair. Okay, if you say it's fair, fine. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's not that fair. But, uh, the, I mean. Well, I'm sorry. Keep, keep, yeah, keep yeah, going. yeah. You know, uh, USC guys, I mean, they've got to Yeesh. be one of the, I mean, cardiac kids, uh, they're going to coin that term for the year because for three quarters, they don't want to play football either. And then in the fourth quarter, they just like, okay, finally, we can be USC again. It's like, why, what are you waiting for? Uh, like, what, what, like, are you waiting for somebody to just tell you you're down by two scores to all of a sudden mount this amazing comeback? Uh, Florida outside of, is the best team outside of the top four. That is just by far my my take uh, right now. Kyle Trask and them continue to roll. The defense is looking better and better each week. Todd Grantham looks like he has that defense back to where – not back to where they were under Meyer, but they're getting there. And that's a really scary sign. Um, obviously, that makes for what could be a very competitive uh, SEC championship game because they cannot only – play with uh alabama defensively but they can play with them offensively and that's the, that's gonna be a very fun game in that regard as it seems right now it's pretty set in stone that they're gonna be playing in atlanta unless they just all of a sudden fall off a cliff and, and we talked about a weird game last week that i think went against what scott said texas tech picking up a win against baylor weird yeah. game the, texas tech was able to play defense Something that we haven't seen them do all year. Uh, they they win a tight one, 24-23. Uh, and, and Alex Bowman didn't look great, but he did enough for them to win that game. Uh, and last but not least, we got our first like Pac-12 after dark ball game. Washington versus Oregon State. 
it was a good one. It was a really good one. It was a defensive battle for most of the second half uh, with Washington just pulling it out 27-21. I like the look uh, of Washington's quarterback, Morris. He's got some. He's got a ways to go uh, in throwing and understanding and reading defenses. But Oregon State also is, gonna, is going to be a team that competes in that conference. They started it last year. They kind of started the momentum, and now they look like they're a team that can compete with even the quote-unquote bigger schools in that conference. So that was a fun game for our first uh, Pac-12 after dark. We also, Nick, had, you know, Will Muschamp left, uh, you know, or was left. released from uh, uh, South Carolina, and J.C. Horn uh, announced his mm -hmm. intention to go to the draft. Uh, Louisville didn't lose any coaches, but uh, Atwell uh, left to go to the draft, and this stuff is going to happen moving more forward, specifically with all these cancellations uh, moving forward, right? Uh, we're going to see a lot of guys start to opt out and head towards the pros. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've we've touched on it a little bit and, and speculated at times, uh, more so on the, the CFF shows that we do. But um, it's it makes sense that with everything going on, as weird as everything has been for some relatively high profile guys who have, uh, you know, day one, day two NFL draft possibility, if, if they're on a team where things just aren't looking good. I mean, Louisville, Javion Hawkins being uh, a prime example. Um, and, you know, Horn too. And then they also lost Israel uh, Mukwabu, the, the, the uh, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. tall uh, safety corner uh, hybrid type player uh, the, the following day. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, with these teams, if, if things are not trending in the right direction, for some of these guys, you know, it, it makes sense to, to step away and, you know, as, as much as we would like to see these guys continue their college career, I, I certainly don't begrudge any of them for making uh, the decision that, that they just need to take care of their future and, and, uh, and move on. So I absolutely agree. I think we're going to see more of these in the coming weeks when, when there are some really high uh, quality players, really talented players with pretty high uh, pro prospects uh, and their teams just aren't in the mix for, uh, you know, a championship or anything like that. I mean, we've seen in recent years guys opting out of bowl games. It, it seems like we're kind of in that territory mm -hmm. uh, at, at this point. So um, it's, it's uh, yeah, you know, sad to see some of these guys go and, and would like to see them on Saturdays, but but certainly understand it. And it's it's something that is, you know, we're having to deal with now more now more so than ever as we're, uh, looking to make projections on these games. I mean, I'm always going through and making dozens of, of roster updates week to week. But, you know, this week and last week in particular, it seemed like, um, you know, uh, since before the season when we were seeing uh, guys opt out ahead of the, you know, Big Ten and Pac-12 uh, seasons being postponed at, at that point, this has been the biggest uh, amount of big name guys that I've had to take off of our rosters and, and you throw in the injuries, you throw in the COVID updates and things like that. Uh, on, on the one hand, that's what CFP winning edge is, is built for and our FBS team profiles were able to go in and make those changes. On the other hand, you know, you kind of wonder at what point uh, is it more than just, you know, a player's talent, a player's ability. And, and is there just sort of, you know, how many, how many of these teams have had guys 
check out. And we'll talk about this more as we get into individual games. But as I was going through the list and getting all the projections together this week, uh, you know, in week past and weeks past, I've often said, you know, I feel good that we're on this side of it. I don't have a lot of those feelings this week. There, there are a couple that look right. Uh, there are a couple that look completely wrong. And there are a bunch where I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of depends. It almost feels like bowl season where which team is going to show up. If, if it's not a team that's got, uh, you know, conference championship aspirations or, or potential playoff uh, implications, I kind of just wonder, you know, how is it going to play out? Who's going through the motions? What players are actually going to show up? Because that seems to be, yeah. uh, you know, week in and week out. Louisville, we didn't know that Hawkins and Atwell weren't going to play until right before kickoff. And, and that, mm-hmm. you know, two almost hundred rated players, that's a huge impact on Louisville in particular. So it, it really, my confidence is taking a big, big hit uh, coming off our best week of the season, quite honestly, you know, this week I have a really, really bad feeling going into it. So keep that in mind as we talk about projections uh, for, for the rest of the, the games this week. Uh, two other points I want to talk about before we move on to this week. Uh, number one is just how much fun the North Carolina Wake Forest game was. Mm-hmm. 59-53. That was incredible. Sam Howell looked great. Wake Forest, Sam Hartman looked great. That was a lot of fun to watch. And then the second one being uh, how disappointing Penn State is this year. I mean, I know they've had some injuries and stuff, but Nebraska seemed to be a sinking ship before this game. And they beat Penn State 30 to 23. I mean, you know, going to Nebraska is a tough place to play. But Nick, I, I was uh, still surprised to see Penn State lose, even though they're only three point favorites. I thought this is their get right game and they did not get right. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it uh, when we previewed that game and, and our numbers all fell on Penn State and were pretty, you know, showed a pretty big edge. And, and I was not necessarily surprised by that, but obviously when you compare that to uh, the point spread that the odds makers and the market have put out, it felt like, you know, okay, what are we missing? And, and part of that is just that maybe Penn State's not, uh, you know, just, just not quite playing up to its potential. And, and uh, some of that might be maybe they've got some overrated players, maybe uh, they've got some things going on behind the scenes that, that we just can't really account for. The quarterback position obviously is in flux. Sean Clifford, it looks like, uh, has really lost his grip on that job. Nebraska used that sort of situation perhaps to its advantage. Adrian Martinez didn't get the start, didn't even play. Um, McCaffrey got that that uh, start, and maybe you know it gave them a little bit of a jolt. So if Penn State's moving to Will Levis this week, perhaps, maybe that will – you know, kind of help them recalibrate things. But also then you think, okay, we're already, what, 0-3 uh, coming coming in. Uh, what, you know, what what do we have to play for now? We thought, or at least I thought, that they would be uh, the best chance of a Big Ten team maybe unseating Ohio State. And then they've looked, you know, they, they've played a little bit better I think than their record would indicate. We we talked before about how we thought they were pretty fortunate to beat Indiana, of course, but um, you know they they don't look like a top twenty five team. They they certainly don't look like a team that uh, we expected them to be when they uh, were a preseason number five in our our power ranking. So very very disappointing 
to this point. And it's hard to hard to get a read on if they're going to be able to uh, get back to a higher level or if it's just sort of, you know, hey, it's 2020 and maybe we'll just play this thing out and, and you know, not really have our hearts in it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's rough. What do you think about these two situations here? I mean, the fun game being North Carolina, Wake Forest, Xavier, and then the disappointment that is Penn State right now. I mean, it makes me excited for this week, uh, North Carolina versus Notre Dame. If, if yeah. That's this week, yeah, this week. Yeah, I'm really excited about just from an offensive standpoint. You know, I don't, I don't know if North Carolina will be up for this game more so than any other game, and they'll give us a, you know, a game like we should have gotten, you know, all year from them, and they'll play like the top ten team that they were slated at at the top of the at the top of the year. But at the same time, it really is one of those games where you look back on it and you go. This was ugly. Like it, to, to get to this far, it, to get to this much of uh, of a shootout, first off, North Carolina was down by like 25 at one point, 20, 20, 21 at one point. And then to allow them to come all the way back it, it is great in one sense just for a, for a neutral fan. But you only feel, feel for Wake Forest fans right now that had North Carolina in the palm of their hand uh, yeah. for about three quarters and then just let it all go. Um, as far as Penn State's concerned, it's weird. When I look at a team like Penn State, as much as as bad as they've been, their season could be completely different. You know, they they get a bad call against Indiana. Who knows what happens if they win that ball game to start off the year? You know, maybe they get found out in the coming weeks. But I really think that that shook up the entire team. You know, I, I really think that Penn State had national championship aspirations, and after losing to Indiana, though in the in the fashion in which they did, I really feel like they just kind of gave up. You know, I, you know, they, they tried to, to show up against Ohio State, not really, you know, giving, you know, as much of an effort as you possibly can against a team that's that's good. But Penn State's season could be just that much different on a couple of plays if they only go that much different. The same thing you could go for a team like Miami. Miami's season could be completely different, barring like three plays where they were able to, you know, put a late touchdown together, get a late stop. Uh, NC State, the last two weeks, Miami could easily be out of the top 25 right now. And we're talking about, you know, whether De'Ara King has opted out or not. So it's crazy how a te- how these two teams trajectory wise were pretty much in the same boat, but how the flip of a coin has really shifted their seasons a lot uh, just this early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, you guys, uh, anything else? Or how did the bets go uh, last week, Nick, before we move on to this week? Yeah, it was it was really the the best week that we've had across the board as far as our official uh, projections go. Oddly enough, and you were going to let me skip it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so it's it's weird, and, and uh, in the last what five or six weeks, we've gone through all the uh, instances where all three of our projection models agree because early in the season, those were just absolutely on fire. Uh, this past week, they basically were 500 and, and we got fortunate that, uh, UCLA playing against Cal technically was at all three agree. It was late. We didn't know that game was even going to happen, uh, when we finished up recording, but, uh, that put us at seven and seven for the week. When you, uh, count, we, we lost a couple of games to, uh, cancellation, but, uh, the, the rest of the games were, uh, you know, basically we, we, uh, not only overs, which continue to perform really uh, somewhat unexpectedly, 
uh, well for us. Uh, that I've, I've talked about before that I, I imagine that will turn at some point, but we've built, still been uh, hitting consistently uh, 55% on, on overs, it seems, you know, week in and, and week out. And we're actually on uh, for the, the season, excuse me, we're at 59.1% on our, on our totals, on our over-under. So that I don't think is sustainable, but it's, it's been good for us. But our official projections, uh, just our, our you know, top-line number when I say our, our projected final score is this. Those went 28 and 16 last week, so that's 64%, which uh, is pretty incredible. And, and so when you, you couple that with uh, our 25 and 19 for our totals, we were over 60% on all projections uh, last week, which is, you know, we would love to do that week in and week out. But, you know, some of those were, uh, you know, the, 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 we got sort of unlucky at times on the all three agree, which were, were 500. So I'm in a weird, uh, I'm fumbling over my words because I'm in a weird headspace, I guess, with it because I, I've lost some confidence in the all three agree. And I am more confident in uh, just that official projection because in years past, that number has gotten better and better and better over the course of each season. And it's because we do incorporate injuries, because we update uh, team performance, because we make uh, changes to our coaching uh, numbers. And, and I feel like we get sharper and sharper as the season goes on. So I feel good about that, but I feel also a little bit bad because I, I think we're, uh, you know, losing some value in that all three agree. So I'm probably not going to put a whole lot of emphasis on those numbers from here on out. Hopefully we'll have, you know, another uh, good week or two of those that we had earlier in the year. But I think at this point, pay pay a little bit more attention just to that official projection and maybe pay a little bit less on the all three agree, if that makes sense. All right. Well, let, let's uh, put week uh, 11 in the books and move on over to week 12. And we will go uh, beauty before age here to start and have Xavier pick the first game that he wants <laughs> to take a deep dive on. Oh, I don't really beauty before age. Okay, I well, usually it's I, age I, before beauty. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I... <laughs> fair enough. I appreciate okay. it. <laughs> I feel like I caught you completely off guard with that. It was it was more a play on the words. I'm not flirting with you. I promise. So, <laughs> all right. So first game, obviously, I think we need to talk about the primetime matchup. It's not in primetime, but it's the biggest matchup of the weekend. Uh, we have Indiana versus Ohio State. This game for me is weird because no way did I ever think Indiana would be not in the country with an opportunity to take control of the Big Ten by beating an Ohio State team at three that, for the most part, has just kind of handled business. You know, you kind of fall into this rut with teams like Ohio State where, you know, you, you kind of lose the excitement for them because they've been so good. You know, you're like, ah, you know, yes, they blew out Rutgers. We're supposed to do that. They beat Penn State. We're supposed to do that. Blew out Nebraska. We're supposed to do that. But you forget that, you know, it's still impressive in the way that they're going about it. They've scored 30-plus in every game this year. They haven't had a team score 30 on them this year either. And they've had a bye week going into this week to prepare for an Indiana team that I don't also think they thought was actually going to be at this point uh, where they were going to be ranked ninth. In my opinion, it's going to be an ugly one. I got Ohio State big. 
Uh, I think Ohio State, with the added week of pre uh, preparation for an Indiana team that, let's be honest, has been skinning by the, the you know by the hair on their te teeth in some games, and also have has put together some really good performances. But I think Michael Penix and company are just not prepared for the talent. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Ohio State is just so much more talented than this Indiana ball club is. And although Indiana has shown its ability to play up to talent, obviously playing against Penn State earlier this year, being able to beat Michigan State at home, I don't think that it's going to be able to continue this game. Where I think they're a really good ball club and where I think their front four might be sneakily one of the better for front fours in the conference. I think their Cinderella run ends here. In a blowout fashion, I've got Ohio State by at least three scores. Man, uh, well, that 17 to 21. I won't, I won't go crazy. 17. I'll go with 17. I think three scores is a little bit too much, but I don't think it's going to be close. I really don't. That number is important, though, because the, <laughs> the line is between 19 and a half and 21 and a half. So that is the line in this game. And not many times, Nick, are we going to see two top 10 teams playing each other and have a three touchdown line in that game. But I do think it's appropriate in, in this case. I'm with Xavier. I feel like Ohio state way more talented than Indiana, although Indiana very talented this year uh, and that they should be in a nice bowl game, but I don't think that they can go toe to toe with Ohio state at all. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, first of all, the, the, you know, Indiana has, has been, uh, really good. They, they've done a good job really in, in the entire Tom Allen era of uh, giving teams their best effort week in and, and week out. Indiana is a, a uh, very, they're, they're just kind of a, they're just kind of a pain in the ass. I mean, they, they are a team that uh, shouldn't match up with a Michigan, shouldn't match up with a Penn State player for player. But they do well enough, you know, coaching-wise, they do well enough uh, where they found some underrated players potentially who bring them in. And, and you know, guys like Walt Fillier, who, uh, you know, he's an NFL player, wasn't really, you know, highly regarded coming out of high school, but came out and, and has had a really, really solid career. Ty Freifogel has been incredible this year. Uh, you know, he, he's a, a bigger body, a uh, little less athletic than Watt Dillier, but he's, he's stepping into uh, that role to be able to uh, complement failure. You know, they, they've got uh, Peyton Hendershot, who's one of the best tight ends in the Big Ten. Michael Penix is finally healthy, it seems. Hopefully for a full season, we, we've seen flashes of him before, but each of the last two years had season-ending injuries. Hopefully he'll be able to, to play it out this year and, and keep them operating at a high level. And then Stevie Scott's obviously one of my favorite uh, running backs, maybe in college football, but but certainly in the Big Ten. So they've got guys at the skill positions. They've got you know a, a veteran offensive line. They had three starters coming back, and and four that had started you know almost double digit games. And and uh, Xavier, I think you're absolutely right that you know defensive line is sneaky. Uh, sneaky, really good. I mean, they're a top 40 unit according to our numbers, and I think we actually even underrate them a little bit. I, I think it's probably closer to a top 25 unit. And then, you know, linebackers, they're, they're, they're solid across the board. I mean, they've hit every position group already, but uh, they're, they're not necessarily spectacular at any one position. Uh, but they are solid across the board. I just wonder if the depth is going to be able to, 
to hold up. And and so far it hasn't been an issue, but against Ohio State, somebody that just has, you know, uh, four stars and five stars at every single position, they've got depth all over the place. And, you know, I, I think honestly, Ohio State hasn't completely played up to its ability yet, especially on defense. I mean, they're they're looking pretty good offensively, as we expect. Justin Fields being one of the top players in all of college football, best offensive line maybe in the country. Uh, they rank fourth in our team performance ratings on offense, but they only rank 35th on defense. And, and when you've got the number one uh, roster strength defensively in the country, according to our numbers, the number two defensive line, number two linebacking core, and a top 10 secondary, even with all those uh, draft picks that they lost, you know, they, they should be playing at a higher level defensively. Maybe we'll see them put it all together this week. You mentioned the extra week of rest. It was a, a sort of a late cancellation with Maryland, so they didn't necessarily get uh, you know, that full extra week to prepare, you know, film wise and, and uh, you know, schema- you know practice wise and, and things like that because they were prepping for Maryland. But they were able hopefully to, to uh, you know, rest up a little bit after three, uh, you know, three straight weeks of, of playing after a, a really, really long off season. So I think Ohio State uh, is obviously the better team here. I mean, Indiana is a top 20 team, according to our numbers, but they're not. Uh, a top 10 team, in, in my opinion, or as far as our numbers go, Ohio State is basically co-number one. Uh, I've said week in and week out with Alabama and Clemson. We've kind of got them uh, jockeying for position there at number one. They're currently second uh, overall, and part of that is because the underperformance a little bit on defense has dragged their number down a little bit. I think we, you know, uh, I, I would not be at all surprised if we see Ohio State's most complete game this week. Uh, and, and for them to beat Indiana pretty handily. Our number uh, for our official projection is basically right in line uh, with the market, with the odds makers. We've got uh, Ohio State favored by 21.4, and that's pretty much <laughs> the exact same yeah. as uh, our talent edge number. Our, our stats only model, which has been our most consistent model uh, throughout the, the entire season, has a little bit closer. Ohio State favored by 16 and a half, but, uh, or excuse me, by 10, 10 and a half. I was looking at the wrong, wrong game there. Uh, but our official projections, Ohio State 38, Indiana 17. That seems about right. We do have them covering uh, our, our uh, official number that we released to our patrons earlier today was 20.5. So we do have them covering, but barely. Don't see a huge edge, but uh, I would I would not be surprised if if Ohio State wins this by you know, 24 or, or something along those lines really sort of makes a statement. I think Indiana's been playing uh, a little above their ability. I think it's going to be difficult for them to sustain, to sustain that all year. And I think Ohio State hasn't quite uh, reached what they're fully capable of yet. So I kind of anticipate this being the week where we see those things uh, you know, becoming a little more closer to, to uh, true form and Ohio State winning uh, by by twenty four. So that seems about right. Yeah, I'm I, I I'm with you. I think Ohio State clears this. Uh, I don't know if I would go running to to bet on Ohio State with that big number, but I think they can get it. Uh, my game that I want to pick here is uh, we're going to go back to the Big Twelve, Oklahoma. A seven-point favorite at home hosting Oklahoma State. I, I mean, it. 
It, well, yeah, I'm going to go to the Big 12. This is a primetime game as well. Uh, right, it's 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 my time, 4.30 Pacific. Uh, it should be a fun one. It's Oklahoma by 7. The over is right around 60, Nick. How do you see uh, this Big 12 matchup playing out? You know, I don't know if it's unfortunate or if it's or if it's fortunate, but it's it's very similar to the last one. Our, our number is right in line with with uh, Las Vegas, with the market, uh, with the offshore books. I mean, we're our official projections: Oklahoma by uh, almost seven and a half. I mean, seven point three seven. So not not much of an edge there at all. We do have the Sooners covering the talent. Edge number is just a little bit better for Oklahoma. Uh, it, it's a little over eight, but then the stats only model is is five and a half, so it kind of evens out all the way around. I, I Oklahoma, you know, of, of course, was a disappointment early in the year, and they like we've you know we we talk about some other teams, the USC's, uh, Texas, and and you know some Miami, Florida State. They're in that class of uh, very talented and, you know, always really highly ranked, but they've been a bit of a disappointment. Oklahoma, I think, of course, you know, being a playoff team the last few years has done better than, than those other teams. But then they, of course, uh, have come up short in, you know, on, on the big stage. This year they got their, you know, uh, ugly upset out of the way early with the loss to, to Kansas State and then completely fell off the playoff radar with the loss to uh, Iowa State, but since they've played really, really well. I mean, you know, beat Texas, beat TCU, who, you know, maybe that doesn't look quite as good as it did, uh, you know, before TCU's come down a little bit. Texas Tech and Kansas, of course, not really going to excite anybody, but I, I've been relatively impressed. I think that Oklahoma is making strides in the right direction. They're closer to being at full strength now. They got Ronnie uh, Perkins back, uh, who's arguably the best pass rusher in the Big 12, finally, after he was suspended the first five games. Spencer Rattler is coming along. You know, we expect a redshirt freshman to scuffle a little bit, and he had some turnover issues earlier in the year. They now have depth at the running back position with Ramaji Stevenson back, who was similar to Perkins, uh, was uh, suspended. And they're even getting healthier. I mean, Jadon Hazelwood is back on the field. You know, hopefully he'll be close to 100%. I thought that he was the best uh, receiver Oklahoma had on the roster coming into the year, and they've really missed him a bit. I mean, Marvin Sim Mims, excuse me, has, has been good, but, uh, you know, some of the other higher-profile guys haven't been as consistent, so maybe Hazelwood uh, will be able to, to come in and, and solidify that number one spot if he is truly healthy. So... I like Oklahoma here. Oklahoma State is a team our numbers respect. Uh, guys like Chuba Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard and, and Tylen Wallace being maximum 100 rated players have helped elevate, you know, uh, above their, uh, their, you know, just standard mediocre uh, Big 12 recruiting classes. They are a top 15 team according to our numbers, but – you know, I haven't been as impressed with Oklahoma State. They're they're playing good defense, but the offense just hasn't hasn't been going. I, I haven't, you know, Spencer Sanders, of course, was banged up earlier in the year, and and even though he's back, he's not really, you know, hasn't really looked uh, quite like we hoped he would. We, we thought he was going to be 
you know, a, a big time dual threat guy putting up a, a ton of uh, passing yards with the ability to, to run the football as well. They Maybe definitely even, have not clicked. They, yeah. they haven't yet. And, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's, you know, completely a health situation. Uh, Sanders has, you know, he's, he's relatively inexperienced still uh, only came in with 10 starts uh, coming into the year, but you know, it, it's just Oklahoma state. You're right. They just haven't clicked offensively, at least to the level that we expected. Offensive line play, I think is, is a big part of that. And Oklahoma has a, a very solid offensive line. So even though our numbers don't really see a, a big edge here and, you know, Oklahoma state does have a, a, the ability to, uh, beat anybody on its schedule. I, I feel relatively good about us being on the side of Oklahoma here. I, I think that this could be a double digit uh, point victory, maybe two touchdowns in, in that range. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all really either way, just because I, you know, maybe kind of like I was saying with Oklahoma state, maybe Ohio, uh, or Iowa state, Ugh. Ohio state, <laughs> maybe Oklahoma state will finally play up to its uh, ability offensively and kind of, you know, get to that level that we expect they still have and we haven't seen yet. Uh, but I think Oklahoma is is clearly the better team. And, and I do think it's uh, pretty much uh, across the board. And, and even though Oklahoma State has played good defense this year, I, I am hesitant to say that they'll be able to hang with Oklahoma, especially, you know, getting healthier getting, uh, you know, experience for guys at the quarterback in the receiver position. So I, I feel I feel good about our projection. This is one of the few uh, of, of Oklahoma, you know, being able to cover. It, it's it's looking like, a, you know, a, a 38-28 type final for me, I think. It, uh, maybe a little bit lower scoring than, uh, than, than the uh, current – uh, total that that's out there, but I, I think Oklahoma wins this by double digits. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you. I think this is an Oklahoma drubbing of Oklahoma State, but I don't think that our guy Xavier is going to be with us. So <laughs> Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? You're drinking the Oklahoma Kool Aid. Let me give you Oklahoma's schedule since their you. last loss. Oklahoma hasn't played anybody. I just that disrespect <laughs> Oklahoma State. All right, I am not that's, drinking that's, any Oklahoma. Uh, Kool-Aid. So, say what you will, but Oklahoma hasn't played anybody. Let, let, let's let's have their schedule out right here. They played a tough team in Kansas State, lost. Played Iowa State, lost. Played Texas, lost. They feed. They, they've been feeding on the bottom feeders in this conference the last three weeks. That doesn't mean they're any better than they were three weeks ago when they lost to Texas in what was that quadruple overtime? It, uh, yeah, there's yeah two overtimes. Okay, so. excuse me, two overtimes. They're not any better than that team when they when they're not any better than that Texas team or that Texas game. I think that we have been unfairly given this idea that all of a sudden Oklahoma found its footing just because they played TCU and Texas Tech and Kansas. Anybody has their footing against Kansas. The, the deaf and the blind have had their footing against Kansas. I mean, so for me, I think Oklahoma. As they, although they've gotten better, I don't think that they're better than Oklahoma State. This is an Oklahoma State team that is battle tested, and not only are they battle tested, they got over most of the humps except for Texas, who they lost to in overtime. So I really like Oklahoma State in this ball game. I think they will. I think not only will they be up for this ball game, it's the you know it's the battle of Bedlam. 
it's really who's going to win the Big 12 that's going to come out of this ball game, in my opinion. Maybe outside of Texas, who has an opportunity to run the table as well. Oklahoma State, for me, has not lost any trust in my mind. Yes, they lost to Texas in overtime. But then they went and beat a very, very tough Kansas State team that has been able to beat the higher, the better teams in the conference this year. And they did it on the road. So I think we have to remember how good this Oklahoma State team has been at times this year. And although Oklahoma has looked better, they've looked better against the bottom half of the conference. So I'm not trusting that whatsoever. I've got Oklahoma State here in a very tight one in a 27-24. All right. Well, uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to play out like that. I think this is uh, Spencer Rattler. Uh, putting up a bunch of points. Uh, Nick, your turn to pick a game. What are you going with? Okay, so the uh, the the other you know big rank versus rank matchup probably should uh, get some discussion here is uh, Wisconsin at Northwestern, and and this is uh, this is similarly a game that I just don't have a great feel for, and it's it's partly because. I've been impressed with both teams. I, I think mm-hmm. that Wisconsin has, uh, you know, really cemented itself as a Big Ten title contender. I mean, I, I thought coming into the year that Penn State was the best uh, bet to beat Ohio State if anybody was, but Wisconsin was kind of a, a close second in that range, especially if they were able to overcome, uh, you know, some some concerns at. Uh, the the receiver position with Quintus Cephas being gone, and, and mm-hmm. of course the running back with Jonathan Taylor being gone. So far, you know, neither has, has really been an issue. They haven't had a, a star running back really step forward, but we've seen Graham Mertz, who wasn't even you know expected to be the starter, uh, come out and, and play incredibly incredibly well. And it, you know, really was happy he was able to get back on the field after two weeks off and, and, you know, the positive COVID test and, and all of that and, and played, you know, just as well, I thought against Michigan, uh, a much tougher opponent, of course, than, you know, when he, when he was uh, setting and tying records there at, uh, you know, against Illinois. I know, I know the numbers don't really line up well. He did, he did, I guess, look a little inaccurate early, uh, but he was in command the entire time and they didn't really need him. It, it seemed to, to play at, you know, that, that really, really high level. Right. I think getting out there uh, was maybe, you know, just as important as actually his, his performance on the field. But, you know, the, the defense for Wisconsin has been just as good as, as we would have expected. Uh, they rolled up 340 rushing yards so the offensive line even though it was uh relatively young coming into the season just continues to to perform like one of the best in the country at least as far as you know clearing running lanes and and things like that so i feel like wisconsin is clearly uh, uh you know a, a much better team than northwestern however northwestern is has been really solid this year. And, and of course they had a, such an ugly record in 2019 that, that we really sort of, I think a lot of people wrote them off uh, before the season even started, but you know, they're four and one and they haven't played the toughest schedule, but they've, you know, they, they I think have controlled every game. At, at least it felt that way to me. I mean, obviously they dominated Maryland from the beginning. Uh, they had the the close, really, really close game with Iowa. And then they played one score games against Nebraska and Purdue, but those never really felt like they were in doubt, in, in my opinion. They played solid defense. Nobody scored more than 20. Uh, the offense, though not 
you know, necessarily explosive is, is better uh, than it was last year with Peyton Ramsey coming in as the uh, transfer, you know, Isaiah Bowser has already been banged up a little bit at the running back position, but getting him back after a season ending injury last year was big. They're, you know, are, are uh, able to make some plays uh, at the receiver position and, and John rain, the tight end transfer from FAU has, has been a good pickup as well. So it's, it's weird because Pat Fitzgerald, I think I've made this uh, comparison before. He's a very similar coach in my mind to a guy like uh, Mike Gundy at, at Oklahoma State. He can get his team prepared to beat anybody, uh, to, to you know pull off an upset, to play anybody close. So, you know, when you have a situation of, you know, okay, this is uh, the, the point spread, is seven and a half. Well, okay. Uh, yeah. Obviously Northwestern can stay within a touchdown of, of Wisconsin. The talent gap's not that big and then Northwestern has been playing really, really well. So I could see that, uh, you know, absolutely. But then on the other hand, whenever Northwestern, is, you know, expectations rise, it seems like Pat Fitzgerald teams don't necessarily uh, live up to those expectations, if, if that makes sense. So, you know, which, which game are we likely to see here? They're the underdogs, so you expect okay, they'll they'll you know they'll play up to the potential. But then I also you know I I, I have hesitation because our number actually is is pretty pretty uh, big on the Wisconsin side this week. We actually have Wisconsin project to win this by seventeen, uh, which was a surprise. And yeah. so you know that that makes me very nervous because I feel like we've had a decent read on Northwestern so far. We've actually uh, projected them. Uh, correctly in, in all four games to date. But I, I worry because, okay, they're an underdog. Pat Fitzgerald has a way of, uh, you know, getting his team to, to play close. And, you know, uh, Wisconsin, uh, they, they've played very, very well so far. And, and the big win over Michigan last week was impressive. But then, you know, how good is Michigan? Not very, it, it seems. So it, it I don't know. I don't have a great read on this game. Our numbers think that we do think that Wisconsin should be a much bigger favorite, should be over a two touchdown favorite, but I don't have a ton of confidence in that. So uh, I, I would actually like you guys to kind of talk me one way or the other. Should I, should I trust the numbers here or should I trust kind of that, that, uneasy feeling that Northwestern really can hang with Wisconsin this week. Yeah. It seems like every once in a while that Northwestern comes out of nowhere and uh, are really big time competitors in the big 10. I don't think they're going to hang with Wisconsin in this game. I think Thank Wisconsin's you. offense has looked too good. Uh, we know they're talented on defense as well. I think Northwestern very talented on defense. I think, I think their offense might get pushed around in this game. So that's how I kind of uh, feel like it's going to play out. Xavier, are you with me on that? I am with you, Scott. I think you kind of hit – once you went through the schedule of Northwestern, I think that really was indicative of how their season could be completely different, how this team could easily be one in three at this current moment. And while Wisconsin, although you don't know really what Michigan is or Illinois is, they're still 2-0 and solid Two and zero. Those games weren't close. So that you you've seen, and we've got to remember. Although Michigan is a bad team, they still have a ton of talent. So 
even though Wisconsin has, you know, Michigan didn't play up to its talent, that doesn't mean that Wisconsin didn't have to play that talent just because Michigan isn't yeah. a good team. So the way, the way that Wisconsin's handled itself, I love Graham Mertz. I think this is a kid that is going can help Wisconsin compete. We'll see how much they can. Remember, they don't have to see Ohio State. So they could go and run the table. The, the only team I have on their schedule that I'm really circling is uh, in two weeks they play Indiana, I believe, at home. I'm really looking forward to that matchup to really get a real barometer on how good Wisconsin is. But I don't think we get that this week against Northwestern. I've got Wisconsin at least by 14 points in this ballgame, if not more. All right, Xavier, your uh, your last game. What are you picking here? Yeah, so mm, I had a hmm, – <laughs> I, I had a, I had a, I had one I really wanted to hit on the head, and I just lost it. Where I, I know exactly which one I want. Uh, you want I, me? You I, want I, me to step in here for you? Go ahead, because I might steal it from you if I if I say it out loud. All go right, ahead, <laughs> this is the one I want to know about. Cincinnati. It's what I was gonna and, say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cincinnati, five and a half point uh, road favorite against UCF. UCF not as dangerous. As they has been have been in the past, but we know that that offense can put up points on anybody. Uh, they struggled against Tulsa. They lost a high scoring affair against Memphis. Um, but even in that loss against Tulsa, they still put up twenty six points, which was their lowest output of the year by a decent margin here. So, uh, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, this this is certainly one that was on my list of, of one I was hoping we would talk about. And that, that loss against Tulsa uh, does not look as bad now as maybe it did at the time. It was a, yeah. a shocker for me. Our numbers have been really, really high on UCF all you know, all preseason leading into the year. And, and that was a major, major disappointment. And then following it up with the loss against Memphis, you know, kind of wrote off UCF. I mean, their conference championship hopes are, are basically out the window here unless they, you know, beat Cincinnati and, and then get some help. And that seems, you know, seems unlikely because Cincinnati has played incredibly, incredibly well, been one of the most impressive teams really in, in all of college football, I think. They have they've moved their way into the top 10 of our power rankings, which is really difficult for a G5 team to do. I feel like I say that, you know, anytime I talk about how good BYU has been this year, well, Cincinnati's been just as good in, in a lot of ways. They actually have our number one defensive team performance rating this year, number one in the country, and they're playing at a top 20 level offensively. Desmond Ritter has been incredibly productive, especially on the ground, but he's improved a lot as a passer as well. Had a, had a really excellent uh, you know, first year as a starter, as a retro freshman in 2018, and really went through a sophomore slump last year. I was ready to, you know, kind of get ready to, to write him off a little bit, but he's really stepped it up and, and, you know, it's got two high quality running backs. Jared Dokes performed really, really well early in the year. Jerome Ford, the Alabama transfer is coming on. They seem to be uh, a, a, you know, high quality one, two punch in the AAC. And then, you know, at receiver, there's, there's no superstar, but they've got depth. They brought in, you know, some, some transfer guys. They've been able to recruit really well at the G5 level. They've got a solid offensive line. And then, like I mentioned, the defense, I mean, uh, you know, on an, on paper, our numbers uh, think that this is a top 20 secondary. They've been playing really like a top 10 unit for the, for the most part 
Ahmad Gardner might be a first round corner in, in a couple of years, just a sophomore, all American type guy, freshman, all American last year. Uh, and, and they're loaded. I mean, they've, they've got uh, James Wiggins, the only uh, you know, non-returning starter because he was injured most of last year uh, has already accepted a, a, an invite to the senior bowl. They've got uh, Maje Sanders, who I know is, is really climbing up draft boards. A lot of people are, are really excited about the talent on defense for, for Cincinnati. So, you know, are they going to be able to keep UCF in check because UCF, you know, as, as disappointing as they've been in, in some instances, is playing like a top 10 offense, especially. They, they rank seventh in offensive team performance. They actually rank 17th in overall team performance. So even though they lost a couple of games, this is a team that is capable of beating Cincinnati. And, and they are still holding on at number 16 in our overall power ranking. So our numbers really still like UCF, haven't given up on UCF. Uh, Marlon Williams receiver has been one of the most productive receivers week in and week out, putting up just huge numbers. Jalen Robinson has, has been a great compliment to him and, and both of those guys stepping up with an injured Trey Nixon, who it sounds like might be getting really, really close to playing. So, so if he comes back, you know, this offense could be, uh, you know, even better than it's been because Nixon's been out since uh, the second half of the Georgia tech game earlier in the season. So I, I, I struggle a little bit with this because I know how good Cincinnati has been, but our numbers all line up for UCF. Think that UCF can keep it pretty close here. Our, our official projection is Cincinnati favored by about four. And that's, you know, not a, not a big edge there, but it's uh, it, it is, you know, to have the Knights cover. And then we actually see uh, our stats-only model, which, again, has been our most consistent model uh, throughout the year, actually thinks that UCF should be favored. So I, I kind of like that. I think that this might be an upset situation here. People maybe, you know, wrote UC off, uh, UCF off a little too early. They are just as talented, Cincinnati, and our talent edge is, is just a one-point favorite. So with that, with, with the game being in Orlando, uh, I feel like this is a spot where UCF could could pull off an upset. I think Cincinnati, uh, you know, if you want to say upset alert or, or whatever, and also just kind of an interesting thing, this game when it opened, when, when uh, Circa, I believe, released it on Sunday, it was a pick -em. So it, you know, it was it was uh, neither team favored, and it's moved a ton towards Cincinnati, and and usually that's a sign that okay, smart money's on Cincinnati uh, with a with a move that big, the the books would you know, if they really felt like they had the the best of it, they might be hesitant to to move it that much, but I, I kind of like that. I kind of like thinking okay, my my numbers maybe not exactly the same, but lined up a little bit closer to what the odds makers had originally. I kind of like that. I kind of like that UCF was considered basically, uh, you know, 50-50 uh, a shot to, to win this game. So uh, I think UCF could win it outright. Our, our official projection does not have the Knights winning, but I, I, I do think it's possible. Our projection, Cincinnati 31, UCF 27. 
I, I think it could be even closer than that, and I think UCF has a chance to to pull off a big win. Yeah, I mean that's why I asked about this one, Xavier, because I I don't have a great feel on this either. Like I I feel if if I have to, you know, gun to my head, I think I'm going to pick Cincinnati in this game. I think they've just played well on both sides of the ball, where UCF has played really well on offense and not so great on defense. So I think Cincinnati is going to be my pick. But how do you see this one going? Yeah, I think this is going to be Cincinnati, and it's not going to be close. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think Cincinnati in the past has struggled with not having an offense that can score points, so they've had to really lean on a great defense week in and week out. I don't find that being an issue for them anymore. This is a Cincinnati team that's been able to put up 40 points a game, barring the Houston game where they were still able to put 38, so pretty much 40 points a game this year against pretty good competition. I mean, they put 42 up against SMU, 49 against Memphis, uh, 55 last week against Eastern Carolina. I really think where UCF used to have the the hands up or the heads up on um, Cincinnati was on the offensive side of the ball. Whereas now I think that Desmond Ritter and company have found a niche and been able to turn the corner offensively. And that's where this game for me really sides on the side of Cincinnati. Uh, defensively, yeah. Cincinnati's a really good ball club, has been for a very, for at least three or four years now. But def but offensively, they can score points. You know, if, if UCF comes out and goes 14 up, 14-0 in the first quarter. I'm not as concerned as I may have had been in the past about Cincinnati being able to compete uh, offensively with a with a uh, score like that. Here's where really where another thing about UCF that I really dislike. UCF this year has gone through just quarters of nothingness several times in, in all of their games. Whether it was you know against Memphis at towards the end against Georgia Tech even at the beginning of the ball game, they've gone through games where they just stopped playing for a quarter. And, and I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know what's that necessarily due to, but they go through these lulls where they'll put up 21 in the first, zero in the second. I don't think you can have that kind of an inconsistency against Cincinnati that's going to allow you to win a ball game where you're already the underdog against a great defense. To beat a great defense, you've got to have a consistency about yourself. Even if it's not 21 points in a quarter, just keeping that defense at bay and keeping the op opposing offense off the field for, for the for the quarter. And I don't think UCF has shown an ability to do that consistently that year, and that really concerns me. It's going to take one heck of a game from Dylan Gabriel and company, and it's going to have to be a shootout. If UCF can make this game a shootout, they have an opportunity. But I don't think they will. I think Cincinnati is going to hold them to 20 points, 21 maybe, and they're going to go ahead and put up their average of about 36, 37 on the, on the back end and, and show us to why they're a seventh-ranked team in the country. All right, so what is that second game you want to pick now, Xavier, now that I stole yours? So because I'm a Sunbelt kid, let's talk about it. We've got App State at number 15, Coastal Carolina. Uh, this is a really good game for me. Coastal Carolina is still a team that I have some questions about. Yes, obviously I watched them in person, so I know how good they can be. However, they are a team that, once again, has been able to escape some weird games. Last week they played okay against USA, pretty much had that game in hand, so you didn't really expect too much from that. But this is also a team that, you know, Barely got over the hump against Louisiana earlier this week, earlier this year, excuse me, which is a, a, a very good ball club, but also struggled against Georgia Southern for, for a half of the game. So I, I, I'm excited to see kind of, this is kind of like a passing of the guard type game, in my opinion. You've got App State, which has kind of been the old uh, regime. They, they've been at, atop the Sun Belt for years now. They, they consistently finish atop the, the Sun Belt year after year. And you've got Coastal Carolina, which is kind of, you know, which was picked, I think, to finish either close to last or dead last in the Sun Belt this year. And they're on a kind of a Cinderella run at the moment. And does their Cinderella run end on Saturday? I think it does. 
App State for me last week against Georgia State was looking ahead. I don't think that they came into that game prepared for Georgia State. And I said down in the podcast last week that I think they would overlook Georgia State and Georgia State might be able to creep on, up on them. App State was able to win that game 17-13 and, and, and skin by. But I really like what I saw from that defense last week. App State's defense is getting better week after week. And their one loss is to Marshall, who we all know is a ranked ball club at the moment. So we can't really even use that loss to really uh, put them in a bad situation at the moment and, and say that, oh, this one loss really has hurt their season. They've dominated in the Sun Belt all year. They haven't had it would a have game. Been, they had that game against Louisiana canceled. That exactly. Was, that should have been a big you know, mm-hmm. uh, marker there, but we didn't get that one. Yeah, and outside of that and the Georgia State game last week, they really dominated in the Sun Belt week after week. No game except for the Georgia State game has been close all year. I'm really excited to see what Coastal Carolina does offensively because App State is a really good team at stopping the run, and Coastal Carolina leans on that at times, especially, and I'm not sure, Nick, you can tell me, which quarterback is playing this game? Do we know if it's – do we know which quarterback is starting this game for, for Coastal Carolina? Yeah, I th- uh, should be McCall, right? Yeah, McCall, McCall's back. But App State, uh, Zach Thomas got carted off last week. So, yes. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's a concern. Yeah, and so I know App State for a fact is going to lean on their running game. Once again, Coastal Carolina was able to really keep that pinned in against Georgia State. Obviously, Georgia State loves to run the football. It's going to be a defensive slug slugfest. This is going to be an ugly game. I think we're we're talking about a 21-17 type ball game where the winner is able to maybe maybe the winner has the ball last. Uh, personally, I, I think that this is going to be a slugfest. App State's going to keep this as close as possible. They're going to keep the ball out of Coastal Carolina's hands with the run game. And I've got App State in a close one. I think they get over the hump even without Zach Thomas. It's going to be tougher, much much tougher. I think I would have App State by a touchdown or two if they had. Zach Thomas at the helm, but I think they can do it. App State has the talent advantage as well, and I think they'll be able to get over the hump on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this game, uh, you know, 7-0 and and 6-1, and and this Mm -hmm. is an early game on ESPN2, Nick. Uh, Last year, App State won 56-37. to Obviously, Coastal Carolina, not the same team. Neither is App State, though. So how do you see this one going? Yeah, this this game is. I'm glad you mentioned it because I, I think it is. Uh, you know, basically this is the de facto Sun Belt East title game here, and and uh, Coastal Carolina is a team that a lot of people have gotten. Uh, we've been watching a lot more Coastal Carolina football than we expected this year. You know, it's a bit of a, a silver lining with the early season Power Five conferences waiting so long to to kick off is teams like Coastal Carolina were on, uh, you know, in, in primetime spots. On uh, They had some weeknight kicks early, and, and so we got to get a, a good look at them, and they were very impressive, and, and they run a unique offense uh, that a lot of, you know, X's and O's nerds and, and coaches are really enamored with and, and have been uh, so impressed with. I would expect that we see a lot of what Coastal Carolina has done this year to, you know, be picked up at, at you know by different coaches mm-hmm. uh, across the country and at a high school level and, and things like that. I know that people are really really excited about that. However, I've also seen you know some instances it, it's not a system that is head and shoulders just uh, or, or you know light years ahead of the opposition because uh, we've seen you know in, in their last game 
South Alabama played them pretty, pretty tough. And, and Coastal Carolina was held to 23 points. They kind of slowed that game down. Georgia Southern had some success slowing them down. They only scored 28. So, you know, even though they, they had that, you know, 51 point uh, outburst at, at uh, Georgia State sprinkled in there to, to kind of, uh, you know, keep, keep sort of the, the uh, hype going a little bit. There have been some performances that haven't been, uh, you know, quite what they look like coming out of the gate when they, you know, put up 38 against Kansas, 43 against Campbell, and 52 against Arkansas State. So that I, I, I wonder a little bit about. And then we didn't get to see them last week against Troy. Troy's an improved defense. I, I would have liked to have seen uh, what they looked like, you know, uh, last week. And unfortunately, that game got got postponed. My my instinct tells me that App State is going to be prepared, is going to uh, be arguably the toughest uh, test that Coastal Carolina will face defensively. And, and I agree with you that, that App State is, is certainly capable of, uh, you know, lining up and, and uh, giving Coastal Carolina everything it wants at the line of scrimmage. And, and I think, honestly, that goes both ways. The offensive line for uh, App State is is really, really good, rank among the top 15 in the country in our offensive uh, line strength ratings. But as far as most of our, our numbers go, these teams are basically mirror images of one another. App State ranks 11th in our overall team performance. Coastal Carolina ranks 10th. Uh, Coastal Carolina ranks 24th in offensive team performance. App State ranks 27th. App State ranks 15th defensively. Coastal Carolina ranks 18th. So there's really nothing to separate them as far as what they've looked like on the field so far this year. I think that continues to kind of even itself out. Like I mentioned, maybe uh, some opposing coaches are starting to figure out the Coastal Carolina offense a little bit. But then if I look at App State and think, okay, their offense is, is really kind of uh, in a precarious spot here because Zach Thomas injured probably isn't going to play. I mean, it certainly didn't look like. Uh, I don't know if we we heard officially well, what happened to him, but yeah. uh, I, I would be surprised if we saw him play. And even if he is able to, to come back, and hopefully will, uh, you know, maybe won't be 100%. It does sound like Dietrich Harrington, who's kind of emerged as their top running back, uh, will not be available for this game. And then I know Thomas Hennigan, their top target at, at uh, receiver has not been 100% this year. So I, I worry, you know, I worry that App State, at least offensively, is not going to be at full strength. So uh, that, that I think, kind of evens out maybe that a, a little bit uh, with the, the Coastal Carolina potential that, that the offense maybe is, is, you know, people are able to figure it out a little bit now. Our numbers are on App State, and, and that, that does make me nervous because of the personnel situation but even you know taking Zach Thomas off the depth chart uh, we still have App State as the more talented team they'd be favored by three and a half if we're only looking at talent our stats only model which loves App State based on their past performance doesn't love Coastal Carolina as much because before this year not really much of a history there has App State favored by almost 10 but that one doesn't take into account the, the personnel issue throw it all together and we've got this basically a pick them. We do have Coastal Carolina favored, by it's, but it's by only half a point, actually a little less than half a point. So see it basically is a coin flip. We see App State being able to cover the five and a half in all three. 
you know, I, I mentioned a little bit ago that I'm not as confident in, in that particular tag of the all three agree as I was a few weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, our, our numbers think that App State, this is a, a, a game that they can win. They, they may be not, you know, maybe they uh, it's not a situation where they should win it because I, I certainly could see a scenario where Coastal Carolina wins this game. But this is not, you know, this, this is a game that App State should be in and, and probably will be very close, very evenly matched teams probably come down to the final possession. And I think, you know, because of the injury situation at App State, I feel like Coastal Carolina is probably, I, I can trust them to make a play in that situation with the game on the line a little bit more than I can at App State. If Thomas isn't going to play, uh, maybe you're going to tell me that, that he, he there's a chance. But, uh, yeah, I, I see Coastal Carolina maybe winning this game, but our numbers think that App State's going to be able to, to cover. Yeah, yeah so oh, go I ahead. Gonna, go I was going to say uh, the update for Zach Thomas is right now there's no indication that he's not playing. Everything mm-hmm. that happened post-hit was all precaution. According to uh, head to the head coach, all his MRIs ca- came back negative. Um, they took him to the hospital. All his MRIs came back negative, and they've said, and the coach said that you know he, he he's day to day, but that he's there's he's not ruling anything out for Saturday. Um, and this article was on Monday. So let me do. A, I'll do a real time update here. I'll put Zach Thomas back in back in the lineup. Let's assume he's going to play. Mm-hmm. I told you we had Coastal Carolina favored by uh, half a point without mm-hmm. Thomas. If we put him in as the starter, App State would be favored by a point and a half. So point and a half. this would be a situation where we would think that the wrong team was favored if Zach Thomas is playing and if mm-hmm. he's 100%. So yeah, uh, keep that in mind. The, the head coach said he, he saw Zach in the building yesterday. I guess he was just talking about maybe Sunday. And he said uh, he looked very good. So this is what I'm hearing from – this is uh, what the article from uh, – this is the article that I'm reading. And so we'll see. I, it looks like the injury may have just been a precaution. Maybe they just wanted him to play for this week or didn't want to risk it um, down the stretch of that Georgia State game because it did look like a pretty nasty hit on the sideline. Uh, but he might be available on Saturday at least. Maybe, maybe not at 100% like you said. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a scary looking hit because he went out of bounds and he hit some equipment and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad to hear that it was all precautionary and seems like he's going to be good to go. So, uh, Nick, last game of the week, what which one are you picking? Okay, so it's I I I, I struggle a little bit here because I was thinking, yeah, you know, there's some games that are just expected to be you know, complete blowouts that are kind of interesting to me, but it's, it's mostly from a uh, point spread perspective. And and so I don't know if that's really what, what we want to go with. And, and uh, there are some other games that I'm just really concerned, like what's the COVID situation at uh, Mississippi state. I, I don't have a great read on that. I don't really trust our number there. And, and Georgia of course has had so many injury issues. I, I just, I don't love our projection in, in some of these, but there, there is one that maybe I, I have a little bit more confidence in, uh, and it's Liberty at NC State. And if you listen to us a, a few weeks ago when Liberty was getting ready to play Virginia Tech, we talked about, you know, there, there's a history of 
uh, when a ranked team is playing an unranked opponent on the road and that team is a uh, is an underdog, it's like an overwhelming, one of the best you know blind bets you could make is to bet on the favorite, bet on the unranked favorite. Well, we've got that situation again. NC State is favored to beat Liberty, even though Liberty is undefeated, is ranked, uh, has beaten Virginia Tech. Beat them as a, a more than a two-touchdown favorite uh, just a few weeks ago. Malik Willis is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. I bet Auburn probably wishes they had not let him go, let him walk out the door and, and handed over the job to uh, Bo Nix a, a couple of years ago. So I understand why NC State is favored. And, and I understand you know, on paper, they are the more talented team. In fact, according to our talent edge uh, model, they would be favored uh, if we only looked at the rosters and, you know, only based on uh, talent metrics. NC State would be almost a three-touchdown favorite. They'd be 19.5 points favorite. But NC State, even though they've been, you know, a a solid team, they've got five wins this year. They've picked up a couple of upsets along the way, but they haven't actually been super impressive if, nope. if you dive into the advanced statistics. I, I talk about our team performance ratings. I throw in a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, stats that are put out there by good folks like uh, Parker Fleming. He's got a great site, cfb-graphs.com. Very, very useful. Look at PFF stuff. Look at, you know, as much as I can get my hands on and try to sift through what the, the most important things are, put it in a formula, and it spits out a, a number that I feel pretty good about. And that team performance overall rating has NC State playing as the number 70, 7-0 team in the country. Offensively, 55th. And, you know, NC State, of course, has a, a really solid uh, run game. They, they've got some high-quality running backs, and the offensive line's played decently well at times. Uh, but, you know, 55th, not great. Uh, you know, right at average, basically, in, in sort of a, a shortened season where we haven't got a whole lot of data on, on some teams already. But defensively, major, major issues. They have played uh, at, at the level uh, of team performance defensively ranks 82nd in the country. And, you know, they, they've played some really tough offenses. I mean, North Carolina, we've seen what they can do week in and week out. Wake Forest has been better than a lot of people thought. Virginia Tech, of course, can run the football against anybody, it seems. Uh, but, you know, at Liberty, I think, is is capable, even against a, a team that's quote-unquote more talented, of scoring basically with anybody, based on what I've seen so far of Malik Willis. I've been really impressed with uh, receivers like DJ Stubbs and, and Kevin Shaw who have had uh, some good performances. Johnny Huntley's a very uh, athletic tight end, uh, kind of a, a wide receiver body, uh, similar to a Hunter Bryant from Washington or a Brevin Jordan at Miami. He's that kind of tight end built that way, and he's a P5 transfer. So, you know, Liberty's got weapons offensively, and then they've got basically the perfect trigger man and Malik Willis. Now, of course, you know, this is a team that uh, really hasn't stumbled quite yet. So there's, there's every indication that maybe they don't 
you know, don't show up for a game. Could this be the game? Maybe, especially when their head coach, Hugh Freeze, is in the, you know, in the news so much with, oh, he's a candidate at South Carolina. Oh, he'd be a candidate here or there. If there's a change, there's always a possibility that that sort of stuff uh, seeps into a locker room and, and throws guys off a little bit. I'm not a huge believer in it. I don't, you know, incorporate it into any of our uh, projections, but it is something to just be aware of, I guess. But, you know, all that said, based on, you know, the, those team performance numbers and uh, the production that we've seen from some key players like Willis, Liberty's really shot up our rankings. They're in the top 40 in our uh, power rankings, which is pretty much unheard of because they're just raw talent numbers are like in the 120s. So, uh, you know, that, that's a huge, huge gap that they've uh, been able to uh, close because they played like a top 15 team overall. They played like a top 10 offense. They rank eighth in defensive team or excuse me, in, in uh, offensive team performance. And they actually rank uh, in the top 40 defensively. So they haven't played, you know, a, a very tough schedule, Virginia Tech being the toughest team that they've played, but they've uh, really been impressive in, in a lot of ways so far this year. So all that said, uh, NC State was a three-and-a-half-point favorite officially when we uh, looked it up earlier today. We have Liberty favored to win outright. So we have Liberty favored by about two-and-a-half. I feel okay about that. I, I, I am not at all surprised that NC State – is favored and, and I might not make a huge argument that Liberty actually should be favored uh, because of the, the talent and the depth issues. But then I look at the, the stats only model and that actually has Liberty favored. So that makes me a little bit more confident uh, because that model has been good. And because that model doesn't, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it only looks at what, what's happening on the field. And it also yeah. looks at past performance past years as well. That is a little bit of a concern with a team like coastal Carolina. Cause they kind of come out of nowhere. Liberty right. played decently. Well, they went to a bowl game last year. Mm -hmm. Hugh freeze has a good history when he was at Ole Miss, they won a lot of games. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of buying into Liberty a, a little bit. And, and so I, I, I see that there actually is some value. I, I hate, most of our projections this week just because I just don't have a ton of confidence in it and it could be misplaced this you know in, in this particular one but this is one of the few that I feel you know pretty good about and, and think that Liberty if not you know if they shouldn't be favored this game is basically a toss-up in my eyes and, and could be decided by a field goal or less probably should be decided by a field goal or less so I'm, I'm glad that we're at least on Liberty plus three and a half, but I think that it absolutely is possible uh, that they, you know, buck the trend again and pull off an upset over an unranked team on the road and, and get that outright victory. Uh, Xavier, this is why I have a hard, hard time buying into Liberty because should they beat NC State, it would be their second win against an ACC team ever. And the first one was week seven against Syracuse. So uh, they're playing great this year. They, there's no doubt. Nick is right. The offense looks good. They look like the better team over NC State. I just have a hard time uh, buying in. That's all. I don't. Liberty's okay. getting the win on Saturday. NC State 
granted, NC State has looked really good at times. Don't get me wrong. They sh- probably should have beaten Miami a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was a game that they probably want back. Absolutely. Uh, but I like Liberty, man. They, they just continue to win. You know, I don't know what it is about them. I mean, sometimes you have these teams that no matter come hell or high water, they get a dub. And, and come Saturday, I think they, they're going to add another ACC win on their resume. I think the chatter about Freeze may have some merit. Yes, he just signed an extension, but you know coaches in high, in college football don't care about extensions. They'll leave when they want to if the job is right. I just don't think South Carolina is the right job, so that's why I don't think he will leave. Uh, I think that's why – but that's why I think he will end up staying. But I like Liberty in this ballgame. They've shown me no reason to, to devi- deviate from the path. I think Virginia Tech is a better ball club than NC State is, and Liberty was able to get over the hump in that game. So I'm going to I'm gonna use that – as my reasoning for Liberty winning this ball game and, and continuing this streak, uh, it will be their third win against an ACC team this year if they were get, able to get the dub because uh, they beat Syracuse and then they beat Virginia Tech. So that that is, I'm, I'm gonna take Liberty here. I'm taking Liberty. Uh, you you are right that they uh, did beat Virginia Tech. I forgot about that one. I just remember so thoroughly that the Syracuse game was their first victory against an ACC team. So, uh, all right, well, we are ready to wrap it up here, Nick. Now, I know you said you're fading the all three agree, <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, Xavier, you said you had something to say first real quick. Oh, are we making our upset selections before the all three agree? That's right. Before. That's right. Uh, okay, so, Nick, go ahead with your upset selection because I got I to gotta look. Well, I guess that I mean the Liberty upset makes makes sense. Uh, we do see Oregon State as uh, think that they should be favored over Cal. Our numbers just really don't like Cal. weren't impressed with the way that they played last week, which you know probably dragged their number down a bit because they rank you know in the hundreds basically in, in team performance based on just one game. But our numbers just don't love Cal in general. So Oregon State, even though. Uh, thought that they would take a step back this year after a pretty promising 2019. Think that this is a game that they could win. So Oregon State plus three and a half. That's our that's our biggest wrong team favored uh, three and a half overcome. So not not a huge upset, but uh, in addition to the Liberty game, that's that's one I feel fairly decent about. I, I think Oregon State can pull that one off. I'm going to cheap out. Uh, I'm going to take Utah to beat USC. Uh, I think uh, we we see U- wow. U- USC get away with the two weeks in a row. They ain't gonna okay. make it three, so they're all on right. the road against Utah too. So give me uh, give me the Utes over the Trojans. Well, who do you have there, Xavier, for your upset? I'm just a glutton for punishment. I don't know if this is really an upset because they both have the same record, but if they lose this game, he's got to be gone. I'm taking Rutgers over Michigan. Let's go. <laughs> let, let's let's do it. I, I think that'd Michigan be, that'd be an game. upset. Yep. I, I think Michigan loses a game on the road in Piscataway. It would give it would be the first time Rutgers has beaten Michigan State and Michigan in the same year, probably since I've been alive. It's 2020. Oh, Let's I've... do it. <laughs> Rutgers, <laughs> Rutgers beats Michigan on Saturday, and John Harbaugh starts wearing jeans. Nah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I I I would take the the. Uh, you know, Rutgers winning over the Harbaugh flipping the jeans, but uh, we'll see. So, uh, like I said, Nick, I know you're fading the all three agree a little bit, but uh, let, let's hear him for this week. Well, it's it's I don't know if it's it's faded necessarily, but I just don't I just don't love it. I've, I've lost some confidence and it's not that they've been horrible. It's just that I see the official model. I feel like it's kind of pulling away. I trust it more. Uh, and I feel like the talent edge model might actually be 
uh, dragging these down a little bit. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Toledo minus six and a half tonight. By the time you listen to this, you might know whether or not that was right or wrong. Uh, but that, that showed some value. So feel pretty good about Toledo uh, getting that win. Tulane plus six and a half. Uh, Syracuse plus 18. Not sure how I feel about that one, honestly. Minnesota plus three. Meh. I kind of uh, like that. App State, we, we mentioned. Uh, we're on Illinois plus 15 and a half against Nebraska. That one, that one seemed actually pretty good to me. I, I don't know if Nebraska is going to be able to put it together in back to back weeks. And, and, you know, they might win that game, but I feel like it could be a little bit closer than, uh, you know, they would feel comfortable with. And, and 15 and a half is a pretty good number. Uh, we said App State, uh, I mentioned that. Michigan State plus six. Don't feel great about that. Georgia Southern plus four against Army. That game might finish. 10 to 7, and, and then we'd get the cover. I don't know. Uh, the the LSU-Arkansas game is really, really weird. Arkansas mm-hmm, opened as mm-hmm. a favorite, which our numbers all see LSU favored by six or more. So LSU, it's now moved. It's it's LSU minus two and a half, and we still see some value. Didn't get you know full value on that one, but uh, our numbers do agree with there. I have zero confidence in LSU, but – Feel like they should win this game, so uh, that that one's okay. North Texas plus one. We think North Texas should be favored by basically a point. So uh, that that one. Southern Miss, as always, Southern Miss plus nine. Can't can't give up Southern Miss. Uh, UCF plus <laughs> five and a half. Oregon State plus three and a half. We mentioned Kentucky plus thirty. Our official projection is Alabama minus twenty nine point nine. So that kept it just barely Kentucky plus 30 on that one. We're on Michigan minus 10 and a half. All three agree. So uh, going head to head there with Xavier against uh, Rutgers. Of course, that's last the, week. That's the line is 10 and a half. Yeah. Last take week, uh, we, are, we were on. No, we weren't on Michigan. We were on Penn State. This has a similar feel. To, to the Penn State, Nebraska, we saw a lot of value. All of our numbers are closer to Michigan minus uh, 14, but can't trust Michigan right now. So I, I don't have a ton of confidence in that. This one is kind of interesting. Uh, Fresno State plus two and a half. All of our numbers have Fresno State favored over San Jose State. I know San Jose State looks like one of the most improved teams uh, in college football, maybe through three weeks. I'm not 100% sure that we should completely buy in. So I, I think that Fresno State, you know, being projected to win this game. I, I feel decent about that. It's only two and a half, uh, but but feel okay about that one. This one I absolutely hate, but South Carolina plus six and a half against Missouri. Missouri, this game might get canceled because of COVID. They're down to 53 scholarship players last I checked. Jeez. They only have one more to go. But South Carolina, we mentioned all the opt-outs. We mentioned well, Mush Jim getting fired. They've just not looked good recently. And, and so I hate that one, but we're on South Carolina plus six and a half. And then finally, uh, Washington minus 11 and a half. There's not a, a ton of value there, but against Arizona, who of course hung with uh, with USC, our official model actually sees this closer to 17. Our other models see it as, as 11 and a half or 12, basically. So it is technically on this one, but uh, we're we're higher on Washington, I think, than most folks. So anyway, don't have a ton of confidence in a lot of those, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get lucky and, and put another winning week after a couple of uh, you know 500 uh, with a losing week mixed in there. So Nick. 
You yes. said Missouri only has 53 scholarship players. 54, last I heard. I'm trying to get 53 on the phone. Is the 50, 53 is the minimum. Last time I oh, checked, I, I still have NCAA eligibility. Let's go. So you're picking the Tigers over the Gamecocks then? I think. Uh, no, I, no I, I, I think South Carolina is going to win personally. I, I think really? that, yeah. You just got their head coach just got fired. Everybody's job is on the line. This is when you get a boost in performance because the next coach is going to watch all the game tape. Whoever sucks, he has no like loyalty to you anymore. He didn't recruit you. He didn't bring you in. He hasn't seen you in camp. He's going to come in and watch the tape from last season. If you were trash against a bad Missouri team, you might be gone. So everybody's playing for their jobs right now. It's time I, know. To I, feel, I feel like it's a reason for guys to hang their head. And it's a weird gear. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have your confidence in that one, but yeah. <laughs> Ho- hopefully this game will get played and, and we'll, uh, we'll find we'll out find which out. way it goes. Fair enough. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports for me at CFB Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck in all your bets. Take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.